This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. Love, true love for God, true love for others will lead to sexual purity and sexual impurity is one of the greatest demonstrations of lovelessness, of self-love, of self-idolatry, and of lovelessness to God and lovelessness to those around us. I know those are hard words, but they're true. and I can't back up from them. Sometimes I hear men especially use this excuse, well, all men struggle with sexual immorality. I want to take that away from you. That's not true. All men should fear sexual immorality. All men should constantly be aware of the dangers. But I want you to know, not every man struggles with this. That lust is not just a weakness. It's not just something singularly you fight with, a little isolated battle that no one else is affected by. You say, well, this is my little world, it's my little problem, it's my sin. No one else is going to be bothered by it as long as I don't involve anybody else. No God sees it as something more than that that affects so many, many other people. You will end up with a mindset of hatred, a mindset of murder. In other words, you will stop at nothing till you achieve it. You will stop at nothing. There'll come a time that the very thing that you believe could never happen in your life, I would never do that. How awful, how terrible, how shameful. That if there's lust in your heart that's not checked, if it is not stopped, if God does not heal it, if you play with it, if you flirt with it, you're going to end up one day doing the very thing that you once were ashamed of, that you could never conceive were possible because were possible to do because there is a dramatic downward pull to lust. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. This City Sites Podcast was designed with one thing in mind, what is honoring to God and what is not. So much of what we hear today in Christian circles is not about God, it is about us. We are fixated on the idea that God wants us to prosper, to dominate, to be better human beings, be prophetically informed, have better marriages, and have good character. Now, some of these perhaps are good things, but that is not the emphasis of the Bible. The emphasis of the Bible is making God first, honoring him in all that we think and all that we do, and yielding to him in this life. You may say that's hard to do, and can anyone do it? Yes, it is possible because the Holy Spirit was given to convict us of sinfulness, convict us of God's righteousness in Christ, and remind us of the judgment of evil things. We have the resources to honor God every day if we choose to. Today, Pastor Sean Morrison stopped by and we had a conversation about immorality in the church, a place where we should be challenged to run from it, but in reality, we are often silent on it. Silence on the issues of immorality today in the church is like never warning people of the dangers of walking across a freeway. 
Here is what Pastor Sean had to say about this issue. Sean, we've been talking, you know, for some time about just the way people in the church today seem to have an immorality about them. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is people, they'll do things that are against Scripture, and then they'll figure Mm -hmm. out that it's not a big deal. And you've got many stories, I'm sure, as a pastor. So when we're talking about keeping things moral in the church, Mm -hmm. how is a pastor to do that today? Yeah, great question. I think the first thing we need to recognize is this. We're responsible to shepherd those who are in the church. And those who are outside of the church, that's not our call. It's not our lane, so to speak. We got to stay in our own lane. Correct. Meaning, you know, as Paul says, we don't judge outsiders. So I think that's an important facet there. We know that unbelievers are going to do what unbelievers do, and that's sin. Mm-hmm. But when it comes into the church, that's a different scenario. Now we have the responsibility to promote growth and, of course, to honor the Lord. The key thing, though, in my opinion, is those who are new in the Lord and maybe somewhat ignorant, we need to handle differently than somebody who's mature in the Lord. Bible talks about that teachers, for example, have a stricter judgment. When you're more mature, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think sometimes we handle everything the same. And I don't believe that's a mistake. We need to be gentle with everyone and we need to have different set of, I'll say, parameters and expectations on those who are mature versus those who are brand new in the faith. And so that's a key thing. In regard to immorality, when the Gentiles were brought into the kingdom in the book of Acts, they weren't given all the rules that the Jewish faith or those who had, had a Jewish background were given. They were given just a few, a, f- a select few, you know, immorality and idols and blood and so forth. And, and don't touch those things. Don't, don't involve yourself with those things. And and I think it's the same thing here is we got to, you know, keep those things that are the primary things primary and not get caught up, you know, in the weeds of side issues. But morality is a, a key one here because so often I believe the gospel has become one that's grace that's permissive versus being empowering. And grace is empowering. It empowers us to live better than we would apart from Christ. And it calls us to godliness and righteousness. Titus chapter 2 talks about, says, The grace of God has appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. So I think that's a key thing is grace is empowering. No, it is empowering, but it almost seems that grace is also an excuse because Mm -hmm. people will say, you know, God will forgive me and so Mm -hmm. forth and so on, and they go ahead and do it anyway. Church discipline in general is pretty tough, isn't it, today? Well, it is. Probably part of the thing is with the way things are going and the trends that I see in the church community, we almost promote a gospel where Jesus saves us in our sins rather than from our sins. And we almost, it almost like invites no change, just add Jesus and have eternal life, but we don't really have to have a life change. And I think that's a mistake. Number one, that's not a gospel of power. And it says that in the scripture, you know, it's talked about that they'll hold to the form of godliness, but deny the power. So often the way we preach, the way we minister the gospel is just that. An example, I've had someone that's dating an unbeliever or engaged to an unbeliever, maybe even gotten married to an unbeliever. And I might be working with them and I might be encouraging them to really reconsider this relationship because it's unequally yoked. And that's just taking the word of God and letting the word of God do its work. And this person might even be gaining a sensitivity to this and yet then they go on Facebook 
and they've maybe promoted the relationship on Facebook. And I've had so many members of church actually like it. And that all that does is sense permission that, hey, it's okay to do what you want. We're going to affirm you. And what it does, I believe it undermines the redemptive process that God has for this person. And it affirms them in the wrong way and actually contributes to their deception. And we're having a hand in it. We're becoming a person, an ally in bringing somebody out of the grace of God rather than into the grace of God by the way we handle it. Because we want everybody to be affirmed and liked rather than, and we want them to be loved, but we're not really helping them become one that's walking in the righteousness of God and really receiving God's best for them. You know, I think that grace, coming back to that theme, that grace sometimes I think we consider it to trump everything. And in some ways it does, but it doesn't give us a license to stay in our sin. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the ignorance or Mm -hmm. can we say the the misunderstanding comes. Because grace gives us an opportunity to grow beyond our sin, not stay in it. Yes, for sure. I, I say this to my children. I go, if you do well, I will love you and bless you. If you do not do well, I will love you. And they know exactly what that means in that I'm basically saying this. If you walk in the things that you know are true and good and best, and according to our, you know, the way I like to say the destruction of the Lord, I'm not only going to love you, I will actually get behind you and I will lean into your life in a way that will help promote the direction you're going. But if you're going to do evil, I'll love you because you're my child, but don't ask me to contribute and help you to do more evil. I'm not going to lean in and be an ally to your evil. I'm not going to let you rob the bank, so to speak, proverbially speaking, and drive the getaway car for you. You know, and I think that's what we're asking. When we say God's grace covers it, we are actually saying, well, we're inviting God to drive the getaway car to our evil. I think we confuse grace and mercy, though. When we do evil, God extends mercy because we're not being judged harshly in any way for what we've done, though we deserve it. Grace, though, actually can only, I believe, be used in the context of where it actually promotes righteousness. It is not just something that winks at sin. It actually causes us to have a change so that sin no longer has power over us, but we walk on it by the grace of God. So as a pastor today, going into a pulpit every Sunday and and trying to bring a convicting word as well as a comforting word, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a very fine line, isn't Mm -hmm. it? I mean, you want to tell people about grace, but you also want to tell them about judgment because both have a reality Mm -hmm. when it comes to our relationship with God. In grace, we grow. In judgment, we will be condemned or punished. And is it hard for you to balance the two as you're talking to the congregation? Well, it's hard because I go into it knowing full well that if I talk straight up the Word of God and in proportion to what the Scripture does, I mean, if I talk about love and judgment in the same proportion Scripture does, I know intuitively that a number of people will struggle with it because they're not used to hearing anything other than affirmation. You know, our generation that everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a participation award, we are always affirming, and so we always have to come around it almost apologizing for bringing a word that would in any way have what they would interpret as a negative ramification. Yet, we're responsible to make sure as watchmen that we tell them the enemy's coming or there's harm coming, otherwise blood be on our hands. So we have to do it. It's how we do it. We have to be aware that they're not, their senses have not been trained to hear it. So we have to acclimate them. We almost have to do acclimatization in the spiritual realm. 
And so we have to set the stage for it properly. So it can be done, but it has to be setting the stage for it properly. For me, I like to say it this way. I start out with statements that have more meaning to them. And here would be an example. I might say to our church, we love God, we love people, but we don't love everything people do. And what I'm saying by that is there are going to be some things that people choose to do, behaviors, attitudes, actions, that we just can't get behind and endorse. We still love God, we still love people, but the things they choose to do and engage in, that's some of the things that we have to discern. What am I going to get behind? What am I not going to get behind? And when I say it that way, they can land on it at least and go, okay, we've defined a broader position. Now we can talk a little more particular into a situation. And it seems to set the stage for them emotionally, cognitively, and I think in just a sense where it prepares their heart. I think we got to prepare the soil a little bit. So you know as well as I do as you read the scriptures, there are certain things that the Bible talks about prophetically mm-hmm. that the world doesn't get lighter yeah. until Jesus returns. Yeah. It actually does get darker. So how as pastors do we encourage people to stay faithful to God's word, to mm-hmm. be faithful to everything this world says that doesn't matter. Yeah. How do you make them aware? How do you prepare your church for basically the end times? I think the way I would answer it is this. I'm less inclined to tell them something and more inclined to ask them to read with me and then ask them questions and how they perceive this. Because I believe a key thing in us is not to just give people knowledge or information, but to give them understanding or what what the Bible calls revelation. And how do you get revelation or understanding is not just by telling somebody, but them discovering something. And it's the field where the pearl of great price was found. Person found it or discovered the pearl, realized or recognized its value, sold everything to get that field. Then they truly own those things they understand and those things that have revelation where knowledge, we it's almost like it's rented truth, it feels like, and they don't have this deep conviction to follow it. We pile up information and it even says in the scripture, knowledge puffeth up. It makes us proud. But revelation is ownership. And if you read in Matthew 13, there's four soils. And it talks about the first three soils and the seed didn't really take root the way it should have or it grew. In. But the fourth one, something unique happened. It says they heard and then it says this, and they understood and it multiplied and bore much fruit. And I think one of the key things in the gospel is helping people discover and understand and own the truth. And we get that even in Deuteronomy 29. It says, 29, 29, says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed, which is revelation, belong to us and our children forever that we may fulfill the words of the law. Our goal should be not to just give them rented truth, but get them ownership of truth, where they have a sense that this is something they really have deep roots in. So when we talk about revelation, I mean, it comes from hearing and hearing the word of God, Mm -hmm. I believe. So how do you get revelation Mm -hmm. in your own life, Sean? Well, I see in scripture a couple things, and it seems to play out in my own life. When I meditate or consider the Word of God and dwell on it, meditation, a modern-day version of that would be memorizing Scripture, where you say it over and over. And meditation was a muttering of over and over. You would say it under your breath, kind of, and you would dwell on it, and you'd think on it. And you'd, it comes from, illustratively, from the picture of a cow chewing the cud, regurgitating, and you're chewing on it. We might say it in a conversational sense, I'm chewing the fat. 
but you're chewing on truth. You're considering it and you're regurgitating it almost and you're over and over playing it out in your mind. And what happens is you're extracting the truth of that truth, if that makes sense. I like to use metaphors. It's like a dejuicing machine. It takes the nutrients and the juices out of the vegetables and the fruit and gives you the best of the best. And so when we dwell on the word of God and we meditate and we consider it and we talk about it over and over, all of a sudden, understanding is unlocked. And something you didn't see before, didn't recognize before, or in an angle of the truth, it becomes almost like three-dimensional and it just pops. And I think that's an important thing because when you discover that, you will own it. Counselors know this. They don't tell people typically what to do. They ask them questions and help them discover it because they know the counselee will own it and actually practice it. We need to do the same thing. That's how God, he's wired us this way. We need to not kind of work against the natural wiring that God's given us. John, good word. Thanks for joining us on the City Sites podcast this week. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. This is the City Sites Podcast Network. 